Hello, and welcome to the Development Podcast from the World Bank Group, coming to you from Washington, D.C. and beyond. I'm Rock of Energy. And I'm Srimathi Sridhar. In this episode, violence, conflict, and fragility, why so much of the world is struggling with these crises, and why the impact of war is not confined by borders. The human suffering that we are seeing in many of the FCB countries are calling out for solidarity. It's been a year since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So how does it feel to be a refugee, parted from your family, not knowing when it might be safe to return? We didn't know where to move. We knew only that uh, I take my kid, I take my 70-year-old mom, and we're crossing the border. Where? We didn't know where. We also hear from both Lebanon and South Sudan. Think of peace, because peace is the only way out our fractured world, and how the World Bank Group is responding. That's all coming up in the Development Podcast. Raka, could you tell us a little more about why the World Bank and other humanitarian organizations have become increasingly concerned about fragility, conflict, and violence? Yeah, of course. So fragility, conflict and violence, which we call FCV for short in the World Bank, it's really a growing issue and a major concern these days because people living in fragile and conflict affected settings represent 10% of the global population, but 45% of the extreme poor. The brutal reality is that violent conflict has spiked dramatically in the last decade. And just to give some context here, 80% of all humanitarian need is driven by conflict. Beyond that, the fragility landscape overall is becoming much more complex. And by fragility, what are we talking about? When we're talking about fragility, we're looking at, you know, economic and institutional destabilization, climate change, and natural disasters. So, for example, the horrific news of the earthquake in conflict-affected Syria and neighboring Turkey brought this into really sharp focus. Worth pointing out, I think that Turkey is currently home to over three and a half million Syrian refugees, which has presented challenges and that many of the issues we're talking about today don't respect borders. That's absolutely right. And we haven't even mentioned the pandemic. Right, of course. And that's had a huge impact. So since the onset of COVID, the world has seen a series of massive setbacks to stability in regions all around the world, from Asia and Africa to Latin America and the Caribbean, and more recently, following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The World Bank estimates an additional 20 million people are living in extreme poverty in countries affected by fragility, conflict, and violence. We're just about to hear from a Ukrainian refugee, and we know the impacts of this conflict are far-reaching, right? Yeah, so the war on Ukraine is disrupting livelihoods, it's affecting energy and commodity markets, which includes food, of course, uh, and it's placing further stress on areas that were already fragile, like Yemen and the Sahel. Then there's displacement of people as a result of the war, which has caused the fastest-growing refugee crisis in Europe since the end of World War II. A staggering 100 million people are now thought to be displaced worldwide. So proof that many of the problems facing FCB states do not respect borders and there is spillover. Thanks for explaining all that to us, Raka. My pleasure. We're running now, moving as quickly as we can. 
Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, millions have left the country in search of security. And as we've just heard, it is the fastest growing refugee crisis since World War II. Many refugees are living in neighboring countries in Europe, and some have moved further. So how does it feel to be a year into the conflict and far from home? Our producer, Sarah Trainer met up for coffee with one woman who chose to leave Ukraine in March 2022 and is now living in a small village near Oxford in the United Kingdom. Since Russia's invasion a year ago, millions of Ukrainians have left their country. Around 150,000 are living in the UK. Many are hosted by families under a special visa scheme. My name is Laura and I'm from Ukraine. Literally, I'm a Ukrainian refugee because at the beginning of the war, we had to make a decision to do something uh, to keep our um, kid. I have a seven-year-old son safe, and so we decided to move to another country. My husband uh, stayed in Ukraine. We're living not far from uh, the capital of Ukraine, and uh, just literally I saw this Russian plane going by my windows at night, and then some explosions, and then in the morning we knew that they uh, hate um, the hospital and some residential houses, then just very quickly it <laughs> it helped us to make a decision. So we collected our things and actually we moved to nowhere. We didn't know where to move, just we uh, took our kid. We were trying to find a safe route. We were not going through the um, highways and uh, choosing these small roads. It took us, I think, 15 hours to get to the border. But usually it takes eight hours to get to the border. But, you know, a lot of uh, checks on the roads and it was really very frightening. You had a really long drive, taking back routes to avoid main roads, and then what happened? Uh, really, we didn't know where to move. We knew only that uh, it was like a decision, I take my kid, I take my 70-year-old mom, and we're crossing the border. Where? We didn't know where. Uh, we chose um, Hungary because the Polish border was overcrowded. We are asked, what are your plans? Some people ask me, I mean, not only British people, but Ukrainian. And I say, I have no plans. Mm. I think about today and maybe a month mm. ahead. Uh, actually, you are looking at the situation, what is going on, and then take a decision. I know that Ukrainian people uh, are surrounded by good people in Europe, and here as well, we feel this. How did you end up with the home that you have at the moment was that a, something that you found on social media or were there official channels how did you end up with the family that you're with now actually social media because i registered uh, at on official sites but when you communicate directly uh, the results come quicker and uh, actually found a picture of me and my son and I posted uh, in one of the Facebook groups, the lady and the family we are living right now with, uh, she, a lot of people uh, responded to my post. And then uh, we had a chat with Jules, our host, and we under I understood that I think this is the person uh, I can trust. A year has gone by, nobody really knows when it's going to end, so that must make that feeling of uncertainty even harder. Sure, sure. And uh, <clears throat> we try to be optimistic, of course, but 
the threat is getting worse, you know, because they are gathering troops and uh, how it feels. Um, how it feels. Thank you to Lara for taking the time to talk to us about her personal story. A conflict like the one in Ukraine has far-reaching global implications, not just in terms of displaced people. Ukraine was known as the world's breadbasket due to its status as an exporter of a huge amount of grain. But those commodities and supply chains, which many in the developing world rely on, continue to be disrupted. Food insecurity is one of the many overlapping challenges facing South Sudan, the landlocked country which has seen violence on top of violence since it gained independence in 2011. South Sudan also faces urgent climate challenges leading to displacement and more conflict. John Dabi, Deputy Commissioner of South Sudan Commission for Refugee Affairs, told me more, firstly about the impact of Ukraine. Currently, the status of refugees is that we have almost uh, 341,000 who are hosted by this country from the neighboring countries. Currently, the effect of the war in Ukraine, the humanitarian aspect really has impacted negatively on the food uh, situation because most of the supplies, the, the war in Ukraine really will impact on, um, on African continent, not only South Sudan. The, the pipeline for food supply uh, used to come from uh, Ukraine. Uh, because it was relatively uh, convenient, relatively cheaper. The cost of the food has gone very high, five times what it used to be. And that's really a serious issue. We continue to really think of peace because peace is the only way out. And uh, for us in South Sudan, we faced it until now we got the peace, uh, the peace agreement that was signed in 2018, where World Bank is now supporting actually uh, the displaced communities uh, through the window for host community and refugee funds, uh, that is helping the, 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 the people to cope up with their livelihood and, and to support them. But with, with, with this support that's coming from World Bank, we also need to see that there is peace uh, in, the, in the country. But if there's no peace, then, then it's, it's a significant challenge. Mr. Dobby told me that climate change has accelerated the movement of people. The whole area is prone to climate change, and it's also prone to conflict. So you either become displaced because of the conflict or because of the uh, climate change. But of late, the displacement of violence is subsiding. It's coming down a little bit. It's not as before, because right now there's the peace agreement being implemented. But the displacement within the country, not outside the country, within the country is really because of the uh, climate change. John Dobby speaking to me there on the Development Podcast. Now, for those of you who tune into our podcast, we're so glad you're here and we're asking for your thoughts on what you like, but also what you don't like. And there's a link to a short survey that we hope you'll take available on our streaming platforms. From South Sudan to Lebanon. Lebanon has played host to huge numbers of displaced people, millions since the start of the civil war in Syria. According to the latest figures, around 81% of the estimated 193 million people experience acute food insecurity were in countries affected by fragility, conflict, and violence. We caught up with Fidel Saad, Save the Children Lebanon's Food Security, Livelihoods, and Social Protection Technical Advisor. He explained a little more about Lebanon's position in the region. 
Lebanon used to import up to 80% uh, of its wheat uh, from Russia and Ukraine, 60% being uh, solely from Ukraine, which all had an immediate impact, but not only on the supply, but also on the prices of food and fuel and other vital commodities, with definitely the most vulnerable being the most affected and hit hardest by, by the price inflation and by the spike in, spikes in prices. So the prices of bread increased sixfold since 2019. And after the the Russian and Ukraine crisis, the price of a bag of bread increased by up to 20% in the space of a week. So this was during the period of August and September 2022. And this is where we also started seeing more people queuing for hours at the time for bread. And this shortage and the soaring prices also have sparked panic, leading to harassment and discrimination against Syrian refugees in Lebanon, specifically uh, at bakeries and uh, supermarkets. Fidel shared more about some of his greater concerns about what's happening in Lebanon. So there's the food security crisis, but there's also the employment crisis. There's an education crisis in Lebanon, and we've seen an increased number of cases of child protection, meaning children engaged in labor, uh, children aged 6 to 11, children aged uh, probably 6 years old to 15 years old engaged in labor as well. But also, I mean, again, the infrastructure in Lebanon is very poor. So we're talking about crises on so many different levels. In terms of the immediate food security and uh, basic needs of the families, so if the children uh, provides cash assistance to vulnerable households to break the integrational cycle of poverty, for also fulfilling the rights of children. I mean, with the increased needs and with 42% of the entire population in Lebanon facing food insecurity, there definitely there's a, a huge need to be able to support those families. And we're only, I mean, supporting 2,000 families where 2.26 million families are in need in Lebanon. Fidel Saad with Save the Children Lebanon. Many thanks. So we've had a bit of a snapshot of life as a refugee and of the very challenges facing countries dealing with a spillover of fragility and conflict. But let's step back and get the big picture from Axel van Trotzenberg here at the World Bank in Washington, D.C. What does the global picture look like as far as FCV in 2023? And what is the World Bank doing to address it? Axel is Managing Director of Operations at the World Bank Group. He began by explaining to us how he sees these overlapping crises and their impact. The mission of the World Bank is to end extreme poverty and work on ending poverty in general. And uh, the unfortunate fact is that more and more extreme poverty is concentrated in FCV countries. Moreover, the sustainable development goals that are already right now off track are even bigger off track in the FCV countries. So it is really a critical question whether we make progress or not on development in general. And the toughest challenge is in the FCV countries. And then of course, the human suffering that we are seeing in many of the FCV countries are calling out for solidarity, working with partners of the UN, of other international organizations of NGOs, so that we can at least make a little difference. Conflict has a massive spillover effect. Um, Thinking about displaced populations, can you help us understand these issues a little more and how can they further destabilize already fragile settings? This is the human face of the conflict. And and that is the, the real tragedy because the question is then, How long are they leaving? These are not short-term problems. These are problems of years, and many refugees 
are staying not two, three, but more years, namely 10, 15, up to 20 years. There are very important questions then what you do with refugees, how do you receive them, how do you provide them also some sense of inclusion into uh, the host countries. And, and, and what it calls for is international solidarity, the willingness to act, namely, not only through a humanitarian angle, but also through a development angle, as well as at a dignity level. I really appreciate you making it clear that this is a kind of a false line between humanitarian organizations and development, you know, and this call for solidarity on these issues. So we we started, you mentioned the World Bank's mission of ending extreme poverty. But I wonder, you know, what about middle income countries, right? Because they're also at a much greater risk of destabilization in this era of multiple crises on top of one another. The problem is also affecting many middle-income countries. For the low-income countries, you tend to have more concessional resources available or grants available than in middle-income countries. And that makes sometimes support more difficult. I'm thinking, for example, Syrian refugees in Lebanon or in Jordan. These are middle-income countries that are providing the support. And to get the necessary resources for those people is often difficult. So Axel, it would be good to have an understanding of the World Bank's longer term strategy. Money up front is one thing, of course, right? But how else do we provide support to fragile conflict um, and balance affected countries? Well, the, uh, first of all, the World Bank, and I always say this, this is an organization that is oriented towards the long term, the long term development. And I said the issue is often when the cameras are gone, our work starts. The only thing what is relevant is that you are a long-term partner. You don't define yourself over the next three months, over the next year, or the next two years. You define yourself over the very long term, and that can be even generational. You don't walk away from, uh, from the problem. You stay with them, and you stay as long as it takes. Zooming out even further, it seems like we're facing a whole new era in development. You know, we have war, climate change, natural disasters are increasing. So how do you think the World Bank should evolve to better address these challenges that are not respecting country borders? Well, sometimes not good to ask me because I, I tend to be uh, more <laughs> of the ambitious. Uh, I think we have enormous problems. We're seeing that the sustainable development uh, goals are off track. We are seeing climate change that is one and a half degrees Celsius to limit that is increasingly out of reach. You see war and you see uh, displacement. So the, the thing I would warn of, you can have then two conclusions. You can dis, uh, despair about the world. The fact is that uh, the world has always been difficult and with challenges. So I'm not one on, on despair. I'm more on the side of hope and that we actually have the means to do something. And it's not only money. And I think, therefore, you need multilateral organizations like the World Bank to step up. And I think we need to be as ambitious as it gets. In the last three years, we committed about $210 billion uh, to the developing world. That was up 
almost $80 billion compared to the three years before. So we show we can actually lift enormously. And that resolve uh, is there. And I think that is important for the future because what we need today is not so much, oh, I ca- this resignation, I cannot do anything. You need actually to have the willingness to act, the willingness to move fast and decisively. My sense is we, we have the institutional capabilities to, to step up. I hope that also governments want to join us with the uh, necessary resources. And then we are in, uh, then we may have a fighting chance. This is as optimistic a note uh, that we could end this on. We really thank you for your time. Thank you so much for joining us on the Development Podcast to talk to us about what the bank has been doing around fragility, conflict, and violence. Thanks. A pleasure. Thanks so much, Axel. So this has been a really pretty heavy podcast. It's it's really a lot to take in and especially seeing the scope of suffering all around the world, you know, from Sudan to Lebanon, Ukraine, of course. Uh, it's it's pretty heartbreaking, really. It really is, Raka. But there were some really hopeful notes for the future, too, from Axel. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope that you enjoyed the episode. And please do come back next month when we'll have our next episode up. And don't forget to subscribe. Bye. Bye, everyone.